Here's this building, but I don't mean the building, I mean the people. So a lot of work goes in, isn't there, to a church. The church has been going for a long time. What is the point of it all? What's the church here for? It's easy, isn't it, for any organisation to lose sight of what it's for and just become taking up, taken up with keeping the organisation going. Uh, think of a political party. And it started in order to promote some principles and it started to change society in a certain way and then over time it's easy for the political party to just become all about getting power for the sake of power. And it might even change its principles and water down its demands in order to get power, which then raises the question, what's the point of the power? Now, I'm sure that's familiar to us because we might cynically think that's true of a lot of political parties. And what's the point? But a church can be like that. We're so used to keeping going We're so used to keeping the regular meetings happening. We're so used to turning up Sunday by Sunday. We can lose sight of, what's the point of it all? What are we here for? So we need to every so often ask, what's the church here for? And that's what we're doing this morning. Now, realistically, some of you are probably not interested in that at all. You're not bothered about the church. But the church is for something you need. Because the church has a message you need. The church is about the life that you need. And the church exists to introduce you to the God that you need. And all of that is coming up this morning. So, please keep listening. And let's turn to Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 onwards. If you've got a church Bible, you'll find the page numbers for it on the back of this green sheet. We've been going through Romans, and this is the section that we've got to this morning. So I'm just pausing because I've realised I haven't given any of the notices, so I might need a reminder to do that later on before communion. Let's get back into Romans 15, verses 14 to 33. Now, here the Apostle Paul is telling Christians in Rome his travel plans. He's going to go and visit them, and he's telling them about his his plans to visit them. Now that's obviously relevant to them, but why has God included this in his message for all people across all times? We don't need to know, do we? Paul's travel plans for going to Rome. Well, God's included it in his word to all people because in Paul's plans, he tells us his reasons for why he wants to visit them. And these reasons reveal his priorities as one of the founders of the Christian church. And so it tells us what the church is here for. Well, actually, it turns out to be not what the church is here for, but who the church is here for. Three people. Let's hear about them now. First of all, God. The church is here for God. Now, Paul's been travelling around the Mediterranean, he's been shipwrecked, he's been imprisoned, he's had rocks thrown at him by people trying to kill him, he's been slandered, and he's just been weary from the heavy responsibilities. Why does he do it all? Verse 17. Romans 15, verse 17. Here's why he does it all. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. He does it in service to God. But we can say more. What service? Verse 16. 
My work is to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Oh, minister sounds fancy to us, doesn't it? You might think of a minister of government. Who'd like to be a minister of the government? (laughs) Must be a right pain. But they've got a high position. But it just means servant. He's being a servant of Christ Jesus. But we can say more. We can say about what sort of servant, what, what is his service? Verse 16, to be a servant of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul wasn't spreading the gospel so he felt fulfilled. He wasn't even spreading the gospel so other people got joy and escaped from hell, although that's a very good motive. He had a better one. It's so that there are people offered to God. That's what verse 16 says, doesn't it? It's all about there being a people who are offered to God. A people who are sanctified, that means holy. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in them to make them an offering suitable for God. Those who've been listening to this series through the weeks, does that remind you of another verse? It's actually very much like that key verse, chapter 12, verse 1. We found out weeks ago this is a really key verse in Romans and it's very similar. 12 verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's the work of the Spirit. Both verses are saying this, Paul's gospel work is with the aim that there are people who are an offering to God. In other words, devoted to God made holy by the Holy Spirit, and then, in a whole life way, devoted to God. Paul's work was ultimately all for God. And that tells us that the church is here, ultimately, all for God. Now that might require a change of thinking for many of us. In fact, it might require us to have a revolution in our thinking. Let's call it a Copernican revolution. Do you know what the Copernican revolution was? Did you learn about it in school? Apparently people used to think that the earth was the centre and the sun revolves around it. And then along came a Polish man called Nicholas Copernicus and he said, no, you've got it all wrong. The sun is at the centre and the earth revolves around the sun. And that was called the Copernican revolution. And we need one, don't we? Because we tend to think that we are at the centre. Mankind is the centre of everything and if there's a God, he's there to do our wishes and make my life go better. And we need this Copernican revolution. God is at the centre. This universe exists for him. Now, don't misunderstand that. It's not that we've got a needy God who needs us. Paul isn't saying, oh, this poor old God, there he is, rather lonely and miserable, I'm trying to get him some friends. It's not like that at all. When I was at university, many years ago, I remember a speaker coming to the Christian Union, and he said, oh, you clever people, God could really do with you. You'd be really helpful, you would. Terrible. Number one, it's flattery. And number two, he's got the gospel the wrong way round. Because he's putting up our view of ourselves and he's bringing down our view of God. We're great and God needs us. No, it's the opposite actually. We're sinners. We're such little obscure people. And God, 
He was happy for all eternity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, loving being together, needing nothing. But it is only right that people made by him should be devoted to him. He's the creator. He's the king. He's the altogether perfect one. He's the all-knowing, the all-wise, the almighty. To not be devoted to him... It simply means your life is out of balance, got the focus totally wrong, is off-centre. Think of it like this. Do you know any misers? Do you know what a miser is? A person whose life is devoted to getting more and more and more money. doesn't do anything useful with the money, he just wants more and more money. And you say, oh, your life is out of balance. Your focus is all wrong. Your devotion is in the wrong place. Well, when we see something of who God is, we realise anyone not devoted to God is like that miser. Life is out of balance. Your focus is in the wrong place. What is the church here for? It is not, firstly, here for people. To have a better life, or joy, or fulfilment, although, funnily enough, Actually, the gospel does give you a better life, joy and fulfilment. But not by focusing on them, by focusing on God. Focus on them and you'll lose them. Focus on God and you've got some chance of getting them. The church is firstly here to make a people who are devoted to God. While we're about seeing that it's all centred on God, let's also see it's to be centred on God this way. It relies on power from God. Now, how did Paul do his gospel work? How did he manage to do such a phenomenal work? Well, Paul would say, wait a minute, it's not I did it, it's Jesus Christ did it through me. That's verse 18. Verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Oh, he said things, he did things, but it was really Christ working through him. And this was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. By the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. Now, I don't believe we're to expect miracles like they had today. Of course, God can still do them, but I don't think we're led in the Bible to expect them still in that way but we certainly need the power of the Holy Spirit to bring dead sinners to life, to open blind eyes to who Jesus is, to change hearts that are like stone and resistant to the gospel. We certainly still need the power of the Holy Spirit. Have we lost sight of that, I wonder? Let's imagine you went into a Christian bookshop and you bought up all of the books they've got on how to make your church grow. And there are a lot of books on how to make your church grow. And you scan through the contents pages and you flick through the books to get an idea of what sort of things they are about. What would you read? You'd read about strategies. You'd read about techniques. You'd read about ideas of things that we could do. And some of it would be worth doing. But sadly, I don't think you'd find much about this. You need God's power. We need him to choose to work in power. That is the number one need, but I suspect in the books you'd find that it was right down near the bottom of the list. That is the biggest need. We need God to work in power. Because we're in the business of changing hearts, and we can't do it. 
Thank God we're not left to just wondering, will he work or won't he work? Because we can ask him to. That's why praying is up there at the top of our priorities. I have to admit, I worry that the church has become just another human organisation. We've de-godded God, if there's such a phrase. We've lost sight we're here for God and lost confidence in God's power. Let's make sure that we're not like that. Number one, what is the church here for? For God himself. Number two, the church is here for people also. People who don't know Jesus Christ. Now Paul's been travelling the Mediterranean, he's been going to different countries. Why? How did he decide where to go? Well he tells us in verse 20. Verse 20 and 21. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. His driving concern was, I've got to go and make Jesus Christ known to people who don't know him. Is that our driving concern? Think of people in your road. Think of people in your workplace or in your school. Think of people around you when you go downtown. How well do they know Jesus? It might be a good thing to ask them, mightn't it? I wonder, could you pluck up the courage to ask them, who do you think Jesus is? What sort of answers do you think you'd get? I think one of the first things they might say is, who Jesus is? Don't you mean who Jesus was? Because they think he's dead. Or they might say, well, a mythical man, just some mythical character. Or they might say, oh, well, yes, he probably, re- probably was real, but all these legends have grown up about him. Or, well, a good man, but he never really meant to start a religion. He'd be shocked at what's been done in his name. Or just someone they never think about. They just use his name when something shocked them and they want to say his name out of shock. What a tragedy. What a disaster that we are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus is the one through whom the world was made, who became flesh, became man, to rescue us. Jesus is the priest, the prophet, the king we need. Jesus is the only perfect man ever, and he's alive. His life was love personified. His death was are the greatest act of costly love, but he's no longer dead, he's alive. And he is the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved. We are surrounded by people who don't know that. They don't know they need him. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people? If you're not a Christian, if you're wondering about Christianity, if you've got big questions about life, here's the answer. Jesus Christ is the one you need. The way to life as it should be is knowing Jesus Christ. The one who can take hold of your life and put it right is Jesus Christ. The way to escape hell is Jesus Christ. Now, there is actually a bigger tragedy than all those people around us in Loughborough who don't know Jesus Christ. You might think, how can there be a bigger tragedy? Well, there is in a sense, and it's this. What was Paul doing in verse 20? 
He describes his actions. What were his actions? Well, his actions were this. He'd go to a place where Jesus wasn't known, and basically he'd start up a church, and then he'd come back and visit them a while later to check they're all right and to teach them, but he basically left them to tell Jesus to those around. And he went on to a new place because there were places without any churches and without a New Testament and where Jesus wasn't known at all. And that need is still around today. It is a tragedy, it is a disaster that people in Loughborough don't know Jesus. But they at least have a chance of getting to a church and hearing or receiving an Easter card through the door or having a... Christian work colleague who might speak to them might be you. But there are billions of people who don't even have that. Across Central Asia and the Middle East and North Africa, there are three billion people who live in people groups that are reckoned unreached. In other words, within that group, there are either no Christians or such a tiny group of Christians they've got no chance of reaching the people around them. 2,000 years on from when Romans was written, it's amazing how the church has spread and the gospel has been fruitful. But still, there are 3 billion living in people groups that are unreached. 3 billion people. There's the need. What is the church here for? To care about that need and to take action over it. What should we do? What could we at Hollywell do about that? We're not Paul, are we? Paul had a very clear call from Jesus. He was to devote his life to going to unreached people called the Gentiles. We're not him. What should we do? Well, the first thing is to consider whether God is calling you to be a missionary. Is that a bit of a shocking thing? Could God be calling anyone here to be a missionary? Oh, yes, he could. In a village in Northamptonshire, in the late 1700s, there was a shoemaker called William Carey. He wasn't a Christian, and he looked down on the fellow shoemaker who was a Christian who worked next to him. But that young man who worked next to him patiently spoke to him about Jesus, and William Carey was converted. And God put on William Carey's heart to go to India and take the gospel to people there who didn't know Jesus. And that was the start of a missionary movement where hundreds went to India and the Pacific Islands and to Africa to take the gospel to people who didn't know Jesus. And many of those hundreds only survived a few months. They died of malaria or other fevers or eaten by cannibals. Now, that sounds like a romantic bygone age. Well, I suppose it doesn't sound that romantic, does it, being eaten by cannibals? But anyway, it sounds like a bygone age. But the need is still there. The need still won't be met unless someone goes and tells them about Jesus. Someone must go. And we should each be asking ourselves... Does God want me to go? Does God want you to go? And I don't just mean people under 30. We tend to do that, don't we? Younger people ask, is this what God wants from your life? It doesn't have to be younger people. In these days, people have more active retirement years than ever before, don't they? Now, here's a suggestion. You could retire to an unreached place and live there amongst people who don't know Jesus. And you could tell them. 
Wouldn't that be a good Christ-like use of retirement? There's something to consider. But all of us should consider, does God want me to go? Now, for most, the answer will be no. God isn't calling you to Turkmenistan. But while you're here in Loughborough, you can be definite about this. God is calling you to live as a display of the gospel in Loughborough. He is calling us together as a church to be a display of the gospel. What is the church here for? For people who don't yet know Jesus. To raise up and send out people to make Jesus known and to support the people who are doing it. There are three types of support in this chapter. Let me just point out to you. Did you notice as it was read, there are three types of support to missionary work. One is money. Verse 24. I plan to do so, I plan to visit you when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. Now, the people Paul was writing to, they spoke the same language as him. And in that language, that word assist was a term they knew full well meant give money and give practical support. It's rather obscured for us in English. Paul wasn't embarrassed about saying, I'm going to Spain to take the gospel, it's going to cost money, I want some help from you. That's one way of supporting, spreading the name of Jesus. Here's another way, prayer, verse 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me, Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. Prayer is never a laid-back thing in the Bible. You never have a sleepy prayer meeting in the Bible. He says, join in my struggle. Missionaries need God's power and we should be working hard at asking God to give them his power. Money, prayer, fellowship. Verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Missionaries are human, aren't they? And they need their faith strengthened and they need encouragement and they need to be refreshed and they need to know that they're not on their own. In other words, they need a church that will send them messages saying, we're praying for you. Let us know how you're doing. They need churches that will send them people to visit them. Money, prayer, fellowship. Ways of supporting the spreading of the good news of Jesus to people who don't know him. Now, if you turn up here next Sunday and find the doors are locked and no one's here, you'd think that the church isn't doing its job, wouldn't you? And you'd be probably right. But what if the church is not praying for God to raise up and send out, even from us, people to spread the gospel? What if the church is not giving money, prayer and fellowship to people going to tell of Jesus where he's not known? If we're not doing that, then the church is not doing its job. But we could easily not notice that. Do we realise it's that central to what we are here for, why Hollywell Church exists? The church is here for God. It's here for people who don't know Jesus. And it's also here for people who do know Jesus Christ. 
Let's imagine a church and call it Trinity Church. I've tried to avoid calling it any of the churches we know locally. I think I've managed. Let's call it Trinity Church. And everything in Trinity Church is geared to evangelism. That sounds great, doesn't it? All the resources go into evangelistic events. The church's motto is, the church is the one organisation that exists for its non-members. That sounds good, doesn't it? If people complain that they want more teaching, they're told, but we're not here to fatten up found sheep, we're here to find lost sheep. Now, what do you think of Trinity Church? It sounds to me like it's got a right heart, and it's probably doing better than many churches, maybe including us, but it's not in line with the New Testament, is it? Because Paul put such a lot of work into people who already did know Jesus. Let's see some examples. First of all, he's writing to them. Verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again. Now, he doesn't just mean they might forget and he wants to put it in their memories. He means, here are people who he believes do know the gospel, but they need it deepened. They need it pushed out into new areas of their life. And if you read through the book of Acts, you find an awful lot of the apostles' attention went into this. Working with those who did know Jesus, because they need to know him better. What's the next journey that Paul had planned? Well, it's in verse 25. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints. So that's interesting. His next journey is to go and meet saints, people who do know Jesus. Why? Verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. He's taking the money because they're poor. Paul, haven't you got a better gospel work to do than that? Oh no, he's concerned for people who do know Jesus. And when Paul plans to visit Rome, yes, it's as a stepping stone on the way to Spain to tell Spain the gospel, but it's also, verse 23, I've been longing for many years to see you. I just want to see these Christians and enjoy time with them and I want us to be refreshed worshipping God together. Paul put a lot of work into people who already knew Jesus. What is the church here for? People who do know Jesus. Not to make us comfortable, not just to keep the organisation ticking over and no one feels unsettled and we all get along merrily. No, because we still have needs. Because the real work is about making us and others around us an offering acceptable to God, devoted to him. Maybe this will help us think about it. I hope it will. Think of the church like an army base. Now, an army needs a base, doesn't it? And work has to go into maintaining its base. It needs it as a place to keep up health and fitness. It needs it so that soldiers can be trained and learned. It needs it so soldiers can be refreshed. They can't be on the battle line all the time. They need refreshment. It needs a base to build good working relationships between the soldiers because they won't fight effectively if they don't work as a team. But I'd imagine it's easy for an army to get taken up with its base and to settle down in its base and never want to leave it out into the nasty old battle out there. 
it's easy for them to forget the purpose of the base. Now, I'm sure you can see where I'm going, can't you? The church is to be like that army base. We gather here to keep up our spiritual health and fitness, to be trained in godliness and learn what the Bible tells us, to be refreshed, together enjoying worshipping God. And I hope you do enjoy worshipping God. We meet to get closer relationships with each other and especially with God himself. But we mustn't forget the purpose is not to keep the base ticking over and neat and tidy. It's all so we can go out into battle. Out to take the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Out to live in line with the gospel in daily life. And out to, here's the ultimate aim, it's not people focused, the ultimate aim is out to be an offering, acceptable to God, holy, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. What is the church here for? It's to make lives that are wholly devoted to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for that now. Father, we pray that we would keep our aim in view, that we wouldn't lose sight of what we are here for, that we would keep focused on you, that we'd be a God-centred church, that we'd work hard at making Christ known to people who don't yet know him. Father, we pray that you would raise up from among us and send out people to go even to places where Jesus is not known at all. Father, we pray that we would work hard at helping each other to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We still have so much, so much room for growth in that area. So please give us the Holy Spirit, work in power, so that more and more people in Loughborough and in unreached places become an offering, acceptable to you, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.